You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open. <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill. Unbelievable. Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, though, man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Got it. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, I have some additional thoughts upon reviewing the tape from Friday's game a couple of times. We'll talk about some performances that deserve some recognition and supplement them with some data. Plus, there were 31 players who did not play in the game on Friday, but most of them are back on the practice field Sunday. We'll recap that, as well as media from Coach and some players from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is... The Drive Time Podcast. Before anything else, some transaction news. Wide receiver Freddie Swain and cornerback Mark Gilbert were waived injured and two players added in their place. Wide receiver Kiki Kuti and defensive back Jamal Perry. I know you all know Jamal Perry. He's been here with us in the past a couple of times, giving us some work both in the defensive backfield and on special teams. And Cutie is a former Texas Tech Red Raider who can flat out go. 4-4-3 speed at his combine back in 2018, was a fourth round pick of the Houston Texans and waived just a couple of days ago. Didn't quite put it all together there, but he has some electrifying speed and a guy that can do some return game work as well. So there you go. All right, I had a chance to watch the tape. I watched the broadcast version and the All-22 from Friday night, and I posted this to social, but I think it bears repeating here once again because, yeah, the 19-3 final gives you one idea of how the game went, and I've been guilty of this in the past before, like, oh, the Patriots lost 20-6. to They must have not played very well, but you should know better than that this time of year more than anything else. But nearly 6.5 yards per rush for the entire game and a first-half performance that carried that average that showcased to me a lot of really good offensive line performances. Like, not even just okay, very, very good. What happened was the offense failed on three critical plays or series down in the red zone, and they were merely a matter of inches away from cashing all of those in, and we broke that down on the Saturday podcast. Thought White was late on the interception. I thought the ball was behind Braxton on the one-fourth down drag route. Also, I miscategorized that. That was not mesh. It was just a drag. Uh, Sometimes you can't see that when you're watching it live, and you you say things incorrectly. That's why you have the omissions and review podcast, but that was a, a ball that was, if it's out in front of him, it's an easy touchdown. It was just behind, and it allowed the DB to get back into the play, and then the interior pressure on the right tackle, which I believe in this instance was Tunstall, and then also a cut block that A-Chain could not quite execute off that edge, led to a tip pass to an otherwise uncovered, wide-open Tyler Croft for another fourth down incompletion. But 31 players not in the lineup, so we probably saw, give or take, players, I don't know, 32 through 60 or so in that first half. I mean, There's exceptions here and there, but you get the point. You're largely beyond starters and into your rotational contributors and guys that you hope are largely only in a backup capacity, like a Mike White, who hopefully we never see Mike White this year. And I say that loving Mike White as a person and as a backup quarterback, 
but you don't want to see him, right? Because you want Tua to take every single snap, unless we're blowing somebody out, which I think will happen a few times this year. Maybe we do want to see Mike White in those games, but I digress. But I think he showed you exactly what he's capable of, getting the team into right looks against favorable box counts, you know, runs and protection slides, because in the second half, that wasn't the case. We had tilted lines, tilted uh, rushes, tilted blitzes, and we didn't slide. We didn't, you know, account for different types of protections. And Skyler, uh, he copped to that in his press conference after the game, saying there was a few pressure looks that got me. And he's right, they did. But in that first half, you had drive lengths of 53, 72, 75, and 44 yards. That's really good. That's really good execution getting the ball down the field. I think the most telling stat that you can chalk up to execution football was that White was one for four with six yards when he was blitzed. Now, you don't have your standard call sheet in preseason. You're not game planning. Good on the Falcons for generating heat with their blitz package. But when Mike was on rhythm and in structure, I thought he was decisive and accurate, which, again, is exactly what you want in a backup quarterback and how you get, you know, drive lengths that accumulate what accounts for four, seven, seven, and five first downs on those drives. That's a great, those are great drive lengths. Come out and execute the offense for your backup quarterback. That's the plan when your quarterback one's not available. I thought Mike White did that, except for those critical areas. But again, we get down on the red zone. Hopefully you've got Tyreek and Jalen and Raheem and everybody else that will be big-time contributors. I mentioned Tyler Croft earlier. To me, that game swung. No position was swung more to me than Croft versus Sauber in the tight end rotation than the game on Friday. It was not a good night for Eric Sauber. Beaten pass pro, uh, whiffed in a couple of run blocks and, and had some some pass routes that didn't really offer a whole lot either. But I thought that Tyler Croft was good, and we have proof of concept of him in this offense previously, right? Ran some uh, 12 personnel type of stuff in San Francisco as well to the Jets. I think that's what he's going to be here is a 12 personnel tight end who's more than capable of collapsing the backside edge and split flow and leading up into some, you know, A and B gap runs when he pulls across and has some of those trap looks and some of those, you know, scan and, and find your second level linebacker and go make a, a down block on that guy. I thought we saw lots of that on Friday from Croft and from this offense as well with some more man scheme, some more gap scheme, which add that variety and flavor to the running game, and all of a sudden, you can do a little bit of everything. But back to the offensive line, let's read some stats here because these tell the story. I put them on Twitter, so you probably already saw them. But in the first half, the Dolphins ran the ball 17 times for 129 yards on the ground. Like That's phenomenal. That's an average of 7.58 yards per rush. On 15 dropbacks, they allowed three pressures. That's a 20% pressure rate. Only one hit and one sack, so that's a one for 15. I don't know the math on that. Let's see, 1 for 10 would be 10%. 1 for 20 would be, okay, I'm going to stop. They were 1 for 15 hits and sacks. I don't know the math. Uh, But that's a 20% pressure rate, and across the NFL, it was 37% in week one, not counting Sunday's games as I tape this podcast before the games on Sunday go. So over 3 in the red zone, obviously not good, but that was a case where process should, you know, outweigh results any time of year, especially in the exhibition season. And as Coach said, use the results as a teaching tool. Let's talk about the offensive line and break down the games a little bit here because, I was blown away by two players. And let's talk about the first running play of the game when we had a guard combo of Isaiah Wynn and Rob Jones. You had Rob Jones wipe out the three technique and take him like two gaps over. You had Isaiah Wynn wall off and seal and and find someone else. Wynn constantly was getting to the second level and finding multiple players. I, I loved him searching for work and almost playing like he had something to prove, right? Like former first round pick didn't quite work out in New England. Looked like he had something to prove to me. They both anchored well in pass pro. PFF gave Robert Jones the second best run blocking grade of the entire weekend NFL wide. He also had 22 pass blocking snaps without allowing a pressure. Wynn had 14 pass blocking snaps and no pressure. 
We'll come back and talk about those guys here in a second. I can see why Austin Jackson can be hard for coaches to quit because of the physical talents and skill sets that he offers. Man, when he gets it right, it is, it's beautiful. I think to this point of his career, establishing that consistency is going to be the next step for him. And it's why I wish we could have seen a full year of him last year, because I think that was going to improve for him. I think it could this year. Hopefully, if it does, maybe you have something and you can get him back, you know, uh, on a second contract that's affordable, but that's down the road. But I think that there's something to work with and hopefully good offensive line coaching and, and a good offensive staff can kind of cultivate that out of Austin. There was one rep in pass pro where I thought he clicked his heels and got off balance, which can be a little bit of his bugaboo. But other than that, really good technique and a clean game with zero pressures allowed on nine pass blocking snaps. Liam Eikenberg had no pressures on nine snaps as well. Keon Smith too. I thought that was the best game of his preseason career. He had a really good block in space on the big Ezukama run and some edge denting runs in the run or blocks in the running game as well. I do really wonder if the best five could potentially be this is going back to my my Wynn and Jones argument. Could it be Armstead, Wynn, Williams, Jones, and Hunt? Now, we have some time to sort that out, and I, I do get wanting to keep Rob at right guard because I think he's a Pro Bowl-level right guard and maybe not so much at right tackle, but it's an interesting debate for sure. And speaking of run blocking, we talked about his work with the ball in his hands. How about Ezukama in the running game? Like, whew, that, that Trent Sherfield role, the absolute master class of forecasting what this wide receiver room could be last year and knowing you needed a guy like Sherfield and Craycraft that knew the offense to come in and, and kind of help communicate the, the challenges of this complex offense. But then to have the foresight to say, I'll get Ezukama in the system and get him taught and, and learned up on the system for year one and then come back and, and get a souped up version of Trent Sherfield, which is what I think you have right now in Ezukama. Uh, Cam Smith can play. He can flat out play. That was evident over the last two weeks. I don't know what else to say there. We broke him down on the Saturday podcast, but it's worth re-mentioning. Kedron Smith is going to make someone have a tough decision to make in the DB room, a very deep DB room. He looked good at both corner and safety. Hopefully, if he doesn't make the 53, you can find a way to get him on the practice squad. I think there's something there with Kedron Smith. Garrett Nelson's the type of player that I want, man. I think you could harness that effort he plays with for special teams work and that's what I mean by that like just pure effort and willing his way into plays and that's not to say he's not athletic he is but he's just a good player who typically wants it more than the guy across from him I think Channing Tindall's between the ears acumens way closer to what he's capable of physically than what it was as a rookie his key reading to get himself in the right gap was very good he undercut one play and, and undershot it and missed the tackle and overran one play for a miss as well but you could see how he was upset about that by how he reacted after the fact and I think that he'll get that dialed and just get better and having those plays on tape will help him get there I'm very impressed so far with Channing Tindall man the, the four high draft picks the last two years a chain and cam and then ee and Tindall those if those guys all hit you're talking about really balancing this roster with contributors on cheap rookie contracts with the top of the market guys ideal situation if that happens uh, I thought it was a tough showing for a few guys Aubrey Miller uh, Alama Yulave the center Lester Cotton Randy Charlton Skyler obviously and Eric Sauber will have a chance to bounce back this week I thought the tape for them was not as kind as those other guys some additional PFF numbers Ogba had two pressures on seven reps he gave Caleb McGarry the business man and that's Atlanta starting right tackle right there that's good to see Jalen Twyman had three pressures Reed and Ogba had two apiece and then a handful of guys had one Josiah Bronson had three run stops Agude Nelson and Tyndall, Peely, uh, and Reed all had two run stops. Kedron Smith, 18 coverage snaps, was targeted three times, just one catch for three yards. So that's some numbers, some tape breakdown for you guys. I come away from this game impressed by what we saw with the 
guys that will be playing come Sundays uh, in September. Beyond that, not so good. Second half was, was not that good, but there you go. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there and come back and recap Sunday's practice, hear from Coach McDaniel and much, much more. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Hey guys, Rob Parker here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like the rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with the new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a Toyota truck you buy Toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com Toyota let's go places I think we would all agree the most important thing this time of year is health and keeping guys available for week number one and with that we got some really good news on the injury front from head coach Mike McDaniel let's go ahead and go to the head man for the Miami Dolphins and get updates on Cam Smith Braxton Berrios and Jalen Waddle. well first of all I thought that um you know, he's got his feet wet in an NFL game, and he showed his teammates a couple couple things, and he made some good plays. Um, uh, as far as his injury, uh, it, you know, we're fortunate that I don't think it's long-term at all. Um, there's, with regard to his treatment and his body, um, you know, the, the timeline is a little gray, but it's not long-term at all. Um, I would... You know, next couple of weeks um, could be sooner than later. That, of course, Cam Smith. Next, Braxton Berrios. Yeah, he um, he got some stitches, um, and the uh, really the only thing that's impeding him playing football um, is the stitches healing. Um, it's like right right where the helmet lining is. So um, in, instead of having that guy that Every time he plays football, bleeds all over his face. We have to um, wait a couple days to let that heal. And then finally, the Penguin himself. Rarely misses time. He's so tough. Um, so we're just trying to protect him against himself um, and being conservative with it. Um, as far as, uh, you know, like I said before, I'm not concerned. He's doing, he's doing well. Um, but in terms of the timetable of it, you know, I... He's already moving around and doing doing exactly where what he should be doing. So um, when it exactly it is, eh, I don't really know. Um, but uh, I'm very happy where he's at. So pretty good news all around there. Also want to go ahead and supplement some of the first segment breakdown with some more stuff here from head coach Mike McDaniel. And let's go ahead and start here with this takeaway from offensive lineman Austin Jackson and his performance on Friday night. It was what I'd hoped for in terms of, um, it's, it's funny, I saw him in the hallway um, yesterday, yesterday, was it after the game, yesterday, I can't remember, um, and 
the first thing I told him was like, dude, I was so fired up for that, uh, for an MA. And I meant it. And the reason why is because, you know, I, 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 I try to, we, we really collectively as a coaching staff try to go along the journey with the player. And this dude has gone all in. And what happens when you go all in and you're, and you're putting your best foot forward, um, you tend to care a lot. So, um, you know, one of the functions of him playing, um, which were several, was that you get that feeling of competitive tackle football and what happens when something doesn't go right. And what was awesome is he uh, kept his technique. He ended up responding immediately and had some really good, um, it was on a run play and had some really good pass protection and then run blocks. Um, that that's what you're looking for to to make purpose of uh, you know these these expedition games. You're trying to figure out who's who gets what job, and then you're trying to have people develop within the preseason so they're their best selves in the regular season. And that was a hurdle that I knew was coming. And he didn't he didn't wait much time and then responded. Um, you know, it, as good as one can in the game of football, which was my primary concern since he hadn't played in a minute. So as you can tell, as we go along here on this podcast, not going to really intertwine the media availability from Coach here with today's work because there just isn't a ton of crossover there with so many questions being day after game or rather, I guess, day after tape rewatch type of questions, which I like the most from Coach. I like the instant reactions after the game, but I like when he has a chance to digest the tape and give us the breakdowns from there. But I found some stuff really interesting here. Let's do two of these back to back and beginning here with him discussing the competition at left guard. I think that this obviously gives us some insight into that, but also really speaks to how McDaniel has his finger on the pulse of his football team. You know, a good litmus test is the locker room, and I, and I, and I pay attention um, a lot to what peers feel, think, maybe say, maybe don't say, their energy. Um, and I feel like when, when the locker room, I'll feel it from the locker room, I'll feel it from his teammates, um, whoever that guy is, will show his face, and it's not really up to my timeline. I'd like it to be sooner than later, but like that's why you have to give guys opportunities to win the job on the field, and it's not necessarily a negative that there's a, a, a rotation. Listen, like Liam's playing as good a football as he's played. Like he's, he's had his bumps and has got better from them in this camp. Um, but there's other good players. And so those things have to be settled on the field, I believe. And those opportunities will continue. Um, and then I'll, I'll know, um, you know, when, when the team knows, and, I, and I'll be able to feel it by not just how that person plays, but um, how his teammates play around him. You know, it's a, you know it, how it is, it's a collective group where you have to communicate and you have to um, – players can make each other better, they can make each other worse. And we're looking for um, a guy that plays his best but makes other people better as well. And then I also think this answer about Kendall Lamb being down on Friday night with the list of players who did not suit up, 
I think this one speaks to Kendall's camp so far and how he's performed, but also to how the thinking behind some of the workloads this time of year goes. You're going to hear this over and over again this year, like he did last year with Coach McDaniel. Case by case, he takes every situation individually and, and assesses it accordingly. Here he is talking about Kendall Lamb. I just really love this answer from Coach about why Kendall Lamb did not play on Friday night. Especially when you have, um, when you're fortunate enough to have a good amount of NFL players on your on your team, more than a roster can keep, you you're assessing. Okay, what is this game going to do, and who else um, needs opportunities? And you know, he, I, I've loved the way Kendall has approached um, his job here. I feel very comfortable with. Um, what you know consistency allows people to forecast you know um what it would look like and you know the guys need opportunities to try to win jobs and so you try to spread those out over three games um and you know there's so there's multitude of reasons but it's all in the interest of creating fair balanced competition where football can be the deciding factor No, I, I think it's monumental. This is my favorite part of preseason. Um, I enjoy the that whole aspect, and I thought I saw that with them, both specifically and a, and a lot of guys um, on both sides of the ball. That's where my excitement and um, from a game that you lose by 16 points um, it is because they're. I'm looking not at maybe there's one or two players that are off, which very much um, dictates the result. Um, but what about the other nine on the field? And um, there was a lot of guys that were exhibiting um, just what you're talking about uh, really across, 
across the on both sides of the ball, offense and defense, and then special teams. There was um, some guys that are are new to positions that did some really cool stuff too. So uh, that, that's that's what I gained from preseason. Um, the second that 2008 happened, um, I cared a lot less about preseason games. What happened in 2008? Detroit Lions went 4-0. So then, if, and then you go on 16, and you're like, okay, well, there's correlation. I mean, I'm, I don't see the correlate, so, uh, and vice versa, it happens every year. Um, and uh, so I, I think the biggest thing is, is that guys continue to get better and learn to learn a, to worry about the right stuff, and those two have. And, of course, a little bit closer to home comparison there, the 07 Dolphins, who went 1-15, and earned more victories in the preseason going 2-2 two and two that year. And I recall, funny story for you guys, I used to obviously DVR those games, and that was back before you got them live on like NFL Plus or before NFL Network you know, aired pretty much every game live or close to it. And you would have to wait until you know 4 o'clock in the morning the next day. You'd find your Dolphins and Falcons rerun, and there would be two or three times throughout the course of the next week, and you have to find it on there. And I would DVR those editions and come back and watch them. And one time the game was going to air at like one o'clock in the morning and being the psycho that I was, I was going to stay up all night and watch it live when it re or not live, but the re-airs live version of it. And my buddy and I went to a breakfast spot that we'd go to on uh, late nights, you know, after a night out on the town. And uh, the server there was a Dolphins fan and I was probably wearing Dolphins gear, not, not very uh, uncommon for me in those days or these days. And he was talking about how excited he was that they were undefeated in the preseason. And my one friend who lived to troll all of my loves, like a best friend does, uh, with the Dolphins being the primary one. In fact, he was the guy that was there and just reveled in the stunned look on my face when Brady Quinn's name was not called and instead Ted Ginn's name was called on draft day that same year, uh, ironically. But um, the server came out and said, like, I'm so excited they're undefeated. And my my buddy Josh just lit up. He was like, oh, I'm so happy that you got the game spoiled for you. I'm so happy to see your misery. And I was like, I guarantee you that guy does not know what the score of tonight's game was. He's a casual. I promise you, Josh. I promise you he does not know. Sure enough, the Dolphins lost that game that night. And so I was able to maintain the secret and watch that game without getting spoilers, which is funny to think about because that's, what, 16 years ago? That doesn't happen these days. But that's my quick aside. And so let's go ahead and hear from uh, Connor Williams here next. We, you know, we saw the run game get cook, cooking in the game on Friday night and really get their hooks into the, uh, the defense of the Falcons. I want to go ahead and hear from Connor Williams here and how he assesses where the Dolphins' run game is right now, especially in year two under head coach Mike McDaniel. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's just establishing identity. I mean, obviously every team's got a different run game, a different style of running. And um, coming here my first year, I mean, it was it, it's a completely different world um, of just run game. And so just being able to get in it and understanding where the ball's going to cut, understanding what you want from a schematic standpoint and just from, I mean, just from your stance and from your weight and from where how you want to run off the ball and everything. And so I think, uh, I think we're improving and I'm excited about this year. Let's go ahead and get the assessment of a guy who did play in the game on Friday night, one of my favorite performances of the entire offensive line and team in general, Rob Jones. Let's go ahead and first ask him about coming back into the same system. Similar question about how much more comfortable comfortable you feel and how the impacts of having that familiarity make for a tangible result come game day or really any time on the football field. Oh, it just made me, help me be confident, you know, just really knowing what I'm doing, you know, going out there and not having to guess like what we're doing on certain plays and everything. It really just 
not having to hear center speak and just having confidence in myself and what I can do. I wanted to play that soundbite for you guys because I found it very interesting. One thing he said there about not having to hear the center speak and to me, that second nature, the understanding of how to, you know, come off in certain calls, certain looks, different protection slides, different running schemes, and not having to depend upon hearing it, especially in road environments. For a team that struggled last year with operations so much, that seems like a big, big opportunity to get better in that regard this year. Let's go ahead and go back and hear from him on how Connor Williams helps this offensive line get aligned with all those calls in the middle of the deep, middle of the offense. Oh, yeah, you know, centers, they got to talk in general, you know, Everything we do comes off the center, and you know when us going into our second year in this offense, a lot of all of us who were here last year, we know exactly what we're doing. So it's just that you know confidence that all of us on the same page, and you know Connor's going to speak regardless because he sees it from a different you know eye. But we all on the same page. And then real quick here on Rob, I've mentioned before that we get a close-up look on the offensive line during the indoor portion of practices, and I was just watching the guys on the bag and. Rob's technique and fundamentals really stand out to me. Like his his hands and feet work in unison, and he does a good job of getting his base under him before he punches, which creates a very strong punch and obviously helps you stay on balance and allows you to redirect if they swipe or put your hands down or your, your punch initially does not land at the right target point. I just think that he's really taken to the style of offensive line play they want to run here, uh, which we've obviously heard a ton about firing off the football and playing fast and how Guys kind of like it here. He's quickly near the top of my list on the the much must-watch list at this point the rest of the month because I think he's a chance to carve out some playing time and carve out a big role on this offense. Let's go ahead and take our last break right there and come back on the other side and do the practice notes and hear from Chang Tindall and Eric Azukama. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Hey, guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit Visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. And then we had a football practice, which again was in the indoor facility. Always a fun chance to see the game from a little bit different perspective behind the goalpost, opposed to the sidelines. And just helmets today, not fully padded, and all of the work pretty much exclusively, or it was all of Tua's reps as, as far as the quarterback position goes. We did see some alternate lineups, though, and even seeing Tua play behind like the offensive line number three, which is interesting because the pass protection in those instances, as you can imagine, against Chubb and Phillips and Sealer and those guys, not great. But we heard Coach address the thinking behind adding a practice to get those guys some work after a few-day layoff without on-field work. And something I'm kind of tracking here as, you know, a big Tua believer, and it's not out of like fanboy or anything. I just think he's a good football player. But something I've 
kind of noticed is like there's a trend of layoffs and, and downtime. You know, week ones have not been good for Tua. Off the bye weeks have not been the sharpest performances, I think, for Tua. Uh, last year, the Pittsburgh game after the injury, not his best showing uh, imaginable. So I'm wondering how they can kind of foster, you know, more game-like situations to get rid of that rust because he snaps out of it within a game or two most times. You know, obviously, game two back last year was Detroit. Game two after the start of the season was Baltimore, so you kind of get the sense there that it does click after a short amount of time, but how do we get that up even quicker and not have those two, three, or four quarters that's kind of slow start to that way? But anyway... I was really enjoying the red zone portion, both on air and at seven on seven, also in team period. It seems very intentional. They worked on red zone after that was the big failure on Friday. And coach talked about, you know, using the results of the game to, you know, teach, teach moments or teaching moments within those moments. And I thought it was very crisp. I thought the route concepts were awesome. Not going to talk about that, but man, I really thought that it was just sharp in that portion of practice. And one thing I noticed more than a season ago is the times that Tua has to tuck the ball and live to fight another day and extend or just straight up eat the rock and move on to the next play. And that's really where my notes start today because between, you know, more eyes on the quarterback from the defense and those zone looks and, you know, kind of just reading what the, the offense wants to do and reacting opposed to playing straight up man coverage. And between what I think is a much upgraded roster, both in the front and back, which obviously helps coverage, you know, rush and coverage. You know, last year there were a lot of explosives in practice. Like every day there was these one-on-one situations where someone had to cover Tyreek or Jalen or even Ezukama or Sherfield or whoever it was, and Tua was attacking those vertical shots and cashing in on them repeatedly, which is good for the offense, but I think it said a lot more about the defense last year, right? We know the offense can do that, but the defense couldn't really stop it most of the year. But I really noticed today with that vantage point of behind the defense, how coordinated it is and really seems to be coming together and getting better as we go along in camp. The entire red zone period was great work for the offense because it was either dead plays like the ones I mentioned or it was touchdowns. There was like no in between, no like, you know, I guess uh, balls that were dropped or, you know, balls that were blown coverages. It was either tightly contested or a touchdown and the touchdowns were tightly contested as well. You probably saw the Tyreek Hill and Cedric Wilson touchdowns on Twitter from the team account already. That's what it was all day. Those very tight coverage, tight window throws that Tua put on the money. And that's how they had to get it. They got one to Chosen working on a second move against tight coverage. Tua jammed one into River Craycraft on like a double ends, like double slants from the backside where he was the secondary man, secondary window. And he jammed that thing in there between two defenders. Tua was finding the backs and tight ends for tons of work there. I had Jeff Wilson, Savon Ahmed, and Devon H chain all with touchdown catches again off the hand of Tua only Tua today uh, a change was another fun reminder of just how fast he is and how much faster he is than everybody else on the football field and obviously he's going to you know beat any defensive lineman slash edge but he made Jalen Phillips look like slow and I don't want to say slow because he's not slow we know that but when he's chasing Devon a chain there's a big difference there uh, he got he caught one out in the flat and just raced around the edge of the pylon for six, right around 15. Again, no pads, so sticking mostly the routes and coverage and quarterback play today. Looks to me like Tyreek is in midseason form. I know some folks were, like, for some reason worried about that a couple weeks ago, but he is open all the time. He's playing a lot, catching a lot of passes, and that extended into a situational period where Tua had a bunch of completions that set them up in field goal range at the end of the game in half. Uh, they would reset it and bring it back to the starting point every time, and he got them into field goal range three consecutive times, Tyreek, Wilson, and Craycraft against that off-coverage defense, kind of protecting against the Hail Mary, protecting against you know field goal range, whatever you might call it. 
Probably my favorite part was the creativity in this practice of the screen game and the yards they got from that. Very impressive work in that area. Uh, also, I think it was another day we talked about from early in camp where they were kind of working on the perimeter stuff to kind of react to how the Chargers played them a year ago and, you know, funnel things away from the inside part of the of the field and get the ball to the vacancies where the teams want to clamp with that inside leverage. I thought there was some good execution in that regard. But then the tide completely flipped. Tua missed a few throws that you just don't see him miss very often. And again, the defense made their plays when they had a chance to make them as well. Like Noah Igbenogany's pick was a ball to the perimeter that was on the back shoulder. And Igbo drove, made a great play, but it was mislocated. You know, easy pick six there. Not easy pick six, but it was the quarterback made it a, a possibility. I wanted to shoehorn the throw to Julian Hill down the scene that I saw in here real quick because Tua had an absolute seed with really good anticipation where he moved the safety out to the corner to follow a corner route and then pumped it right back into the seam down the middle to Hill for a, uh, what would have been like a 50-yard touchdown if he broke one tackle at very least 30 yards all in the air catch down the middle of the football field. Then a couple more INTs, the pick by Javon Hall and was really good anticipation by the snowman, had a great angle behind it as he tried to layer a deep over route to Tyreek coming across the field, but Holland broke on it before the ball was even in the air and cut it off for the pick. And the third one was a ball that looked like there was some confusion with Cedric Wilson and Savon Ahmed in what looked like a like seven, you know, seven flat corner route, flat route to the pylon. And they were both in the same area, and it got deflected off Wilson's hand, reaching back behind him right to Deshaun Elliott. So I think there was some miscommunication there. Truthfully, though, the, the play that I thought looked like the least like two was this off-platform throw where he just flat-out missed the receiver. Those four throws, while Shroud was otherwise a pretty crisp practice, but also, you know, four misses when three of them are picked, that's nothing to gloss over. But it's also like, hey, the defense looked pretty good as well. So it's always difficult in training camp. I thought the two had a down day, but you're going to read about how bad it was. Like, yeah, those four plays were bad, but there was a lot of good plays in there as well. I think this defense might be pretty good, man. We'll, we'll find out come regular season. But that's my takeaway from the last week plus is that we, you know, we haven't seen anybody, Dolphins or Falcons, do much on this defense really since that scrimmage. And so... Uh, it's been impressive to watch them. Some quick hitters to finish up here. Channing Tindall had a really nice pass breakup where he maintained depth on a play and got his hand in the passing lane. We asked him after practice, how's this game slowing down for you now in year number two? Here's the Miami linebacker. Um, well, just from last year, we have a new defensive coordinator, so it's kind of like it's completely different this year. But one thing I did take from the game, it's just like I'm getting a better, like I feel like I'm getting a full understanding of what exactly I'm supposed to do like on the field from a playbook standpoint, and then just a little anticipation is there as well. I just need to work more. There's a little bit of anticipation, but I know it can be faster. So those two things I took from the game. I like his game, man. I like the way he talks about his game too. And then Eric Azucama had another fantastic practice, caught a ton of balls, and has just a little more burst this year out of his breaks. He talked about how he feels faster in that way. But I also wanted to ask him, how do you kind of look at the way this offense can create space with Waddle and, and Hill? And do you get pretty excited thinking about the opportunities you might have in the offense? Definitely. I'm, I'm really excited to, to get on the field with Tyreek and Jalen, uh, knowing that uh, most defenses are going to try to stop them and probably not worried about me too much. And kind of just being under the radar, being an underdog, kind of gives me uh, a little boost of confidence knowing that, you know, when my number's called, I'll be able to showcase uh, my ability probably just one-on-one, -on -one, you know, knowing that I'd have to beat one person with uh, them try trying to double-team Tyreek or Jalen. Let's go ahead and close it out right here. Jalen Phillips was an absolute menace. He was in there frequently and beating around that right edge, which uh, – when they had Austin Jackson not in the lineup, it was a long day for that offensive line. 
for, for the stars in general, but Phillips in general really got everybody, but mostly uh, the, the number twos and threes were, were pretty easy pickings. Um, and then Raekwon Davis was also back there a lot. He's had a very nice camp so far. That's all I got for you guys today. I know the practice notes were short, but lots of breakdowns on the game I thought I thought were good. You guys can tell me if you thought so or not. I, I thought they were. That's all I got today. Let's go ahead and get out of here. Another show tomorrow covering practice on Monday. Then it's wheels up to Houston, so here's the programming for the week. Show Monday, no show on Tuesday. That's travel day. Joint practice coverage from Houston Wednesday and Thursday. And then Steve Goldstein will join me for the Friday show. And then I believe the game recap pod will be out early Saturday. No, check that. Sunday morning after the Saturday 4 o'clock kickoff here, uh, local time, 3 o'clock out in Houston. And as always, the training camp notebooks up on MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice. Check out our postgame show on 105.9, I believe is the uh, FM station, also on iHeartRadio. Uh, on the app there. You can also check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins Today. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron, Daddy. Daddy.